I need them to use it to sort of re-agitate the slumbering molecules of the air in the room. Hello and welcome to The Common Room, a series of conversations between members of the Yale English Department. I'm Derek Green. Today, we're talking to Michael Cunningham, the celebrated novelist and short story writer, screenwriter, and film producer. His novels include A Home at the End of the World, which grew from his award-winning short story, White Angel, The Hours, which was awarded the Penn Faulkner Award and the Pulitzer Prize, and one of my personal favorites, Specimen Days, which among its many wonders is set in the past, present, and future, and includes among its characters, the great American poet, Walt Whitman. His most recent novel is The Snow Queen. Michael is also a much loved teacher in the creative writing program here at Yale. Welcome, Michael. We are truly thrilled to have you here as a guest in the common room. Thank you, Derek. I'm very, very happy to be here. There was a lot in that introduction. It barely scratches the surface of what you've accomplished. Can you tell us a little more about your background, Michael, the story behind the bio? The bio underneath the bio as it were. I graduated from college, got into my third hand car and drove out into the mad American night thinking that I would wrestle a novel up out of the earth, down out of the stars and a couple of years later, I was tending bar in a Mexican restaurant. I was making blender margaritas and starting a new novel for the 15th time. And I thought, you know, this isn't working. And I, with some trepidations, this was a while ago, of course, when MFA programs were not nearly as ubiquitous or even sort of accepted as they are. It, it felt then a little bit like a slightly desperate gesture, like going to charm school or something. But I went to the uh, writer's workshop in Iowa and actually kind of loved it, slightly perversely loved it because it was a bit of a piranha tank. It's gotten much better since then but it was hugely competitive once you got there. But I, perversely, sort of loved it that I was in the middle of Iowa with 40 or so other aspiring writers, and all of us were willing to do each other harm over a paragraph, which you could take one way or another, obviously, but I was sort of enlivened. It was two years on some sort of planet where the greatest human accomplishment, the most admirable thing you could do was write a beautiful and true sentence. And I did love that. But then the two years are drawn to a close and it's time to move on, but you have no money and you have no publications and you have an MFA degree that doesn't really mean much. And what are you going to do? And everybody I knew was sort of desperately hoping to be hired to teach in freshman composition in a college just barely south of the Arctic Circle. And I just thought, you know what? I would rather go to New York and dance on a bar. <laughs> Which was not a bad career move at the time, <laughs> believe me. It's not a career I could go back to because not only am I am I too old to attract much of an audience, I'm probably too old to get up on a bar at this point. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't teach for quite some time, and then I got an inquiry from Columbia, the MFA program, and I said, "Oh, yeah, let's give it a try." What the hey, it's Columbia, and I was a little bit surprised 
that's how much I loved it. How much I loved being weekly in a room full of intelligent, literate, younger people talking about writing and how it works. And then I went to the MFA program at Brooklyn College because I was sort of interested in the idea at Brooklyn College of an MFA program that was sort of set up to accommodate people who are not 22 and child-free and able to scrape up the money for gigantic tuitions. And I had great students there. But that Asian woman who was a single mother of two children and had a day job could not go to Columbia. She could go to Brooklyn College. And that was great. I got to Yale from there. And um, I find the truth a sort of dowdy and uninteresting option most of the time. But, but truly, I can't imagine a better teaching job than mine at Yale. And I have to say as well that it's been a little bit of a revelation teaching undergraduates. Oh, with all due respect to MFA programs everywhere, very much including Columbia's and Brooklyn's, I really like working with younger writers. I find that they are more willing to experiment more open to different possibilities and less competitive in a way that's really good for them, I think, and really no less gifted than the MFA students. I've had some remarkable young writers. I, I just wasn't, I just reading a short story in the New Yorker by Claire Sestinovich, who was my student a few years ago. And here she is. I couldn't be more thrilled. You're a much sought after teacher. So as much as you care about the students, they love you too, Michael. Tell us a little about the courses you teach at Yale and the other work you do here. I teach two classes every spring. One is called Reading Fiction for Craft. It's a sort of hybrid of a literature and writing class. I guess you'd say that if many literature classes are about why do we revere writers from Raymond Carver to Toni Morrison, my class is a little more about how do they do that using only ink paper and the words in the dictionary? How did people pull down the dictionary and, and produce, will you please be quiet, please, and beloved? How did that happen? Because there's nothing unusual about the tools. And writing is particular that way. The raw materials are not only available to everybody, you're already instantly an expert at putting words on paper. And that's what we do. And the other class is the Advanced Fiction Writing Workshop. In my workshop, the students write the same story three times over the course of the semester, an initial draft, and then two rewrites, because I started to feel like you show people a story, and they talk to you about it, and then that story goes away, and no one ever sees it again, and then you write another story, which I began to think was not only maybe of sort of limited usefulness, but does not in any way resemble the actual writing process, which da -da -da, is all about rewriting. Do you have a favorite piece of writing or music or art, something that inspires you? And what are some reasons it's your favorite? Maybe music is the most constant. And it's in your writing too. It is. When I get started in the morning, I always play some music. Kind of intuitively, the music changes depending on what I'm working on. Like the hours was 
all about Schubert and the Brahms Requiem. There were times when I, I felt like, well, this book is really just the Brahms Requiem in novel form. No one has seemed to have noticed that but me. <laughs> the new one, the one I've been working on for what seems like an extremely long time, seems to be more about like new Bob Dylan. That's an amazing new album. A lot of Lori Anderson, Pink Floyd, an English group I love called Pulp. And over time, I realized that without being in any way planned, each novel has a distinct soundtrack, has a sort of body of music that got me started in the mornings. Because I, I, need, I need the music to sort of re-agitate the slumbering molecules of the air in the room. I feel that I am as open to influence as I can manage to be. And when I hear writers say something like, oh, I, I can't read great books while I'm writing. I mean, I understand it, but I also feel like, oh, you know, if you are worried that you are going to turn into Virginia Woolf or, or Garcia Marquez, rest assured, you'll be fine. I just feel like, yes, influence me. Bring it on, especially if it's a lot of different things. If it's the lighthouse and Pink Floyd and everything. It reminds you of how many people and how many different ways have accomplished the impossible, the technically impossible. How could anybody write to the lighthouse? How could anybody write, hey, you? And yet people do. I like feeling connected to that, especially in a solitary pursuit like ours. You can drop off the chain a little bit. You can feel like, what am I doing here? Just sitting in this room, making this stuff up. So it's that too. It's that it's it's the sort of I guess literally the company, other people who who've done these remarkable things that they've done. Thanks, Michael. It was great speaking with you. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to the Common Room. Our producer is Robert Scaramuccia, class of nineteen, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You also heard I've Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You by Bob Dylan. 